Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of the Lord during their entire Christian lives and have become patterns to us of ones that counted all things lost on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his most comprehensive work called the Life Study of the Bible just before going to be with the Lord in 1997. This program combines short excerpts from his original speaking, along with some of our own comments and fellowship. And as always, we'd like to hear from you with your thoughts or answer any questions that might arise while you're listening. We'll repeat this contact information at the end of the program, but if you have a pen right now, jot down our toll-free number, which is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or you can reach us by email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. We all know the story of Israel's 40-year-long journey in the wilderness. Their journey, though unnecessarily long, wasn't aimless or without a goal. They had a definite destination, the good land, the land of Emmanuel, today's Israel. This land, as we have seen before, is a type, even a picture of Christ, of our Christ, who is our goal and destination. But as we've seen, God also has an enemy who opposes him and frustrates his people, bringing in a kind of warfare in the spiritual realm. The book of Numbers touches this warfare repeatedly. And today we come to chapter 22, where the tactic employed by Satan against God's people Israel changes dramatically. This program is full of much insight and we really pray that the Lord would shine in this word today. Francis Ball has joined us for our fellowship. Francis, welcome back. Thank you. It's always good to be here, especially in this particular journey. Francis, let's review a little bit of the situation that chapter 22 in Numbers brings us to. As I mentioned by now, Israel had already fully become occupied in the warfare. Actually, they had from the time they uh, came out of Egypt having to fight Pharaoh's army and then fighting the Amalekites in the wilderness. And just now we've seen this warfare that took place right at the entrance to the good land, these three kings that guarded the entrance. But today we see the strategy of God's enemy against Israel to frustrate them from gaining the land changes. And we have the story of Balak and Balaam, two Moabites. I think uh, to save a little time, rather than read all the verses today, I just ask you to review this story a little bit. And then after that, we'll get to Witness Lee and the spiritual significance of all the things we'll see. Well, Chris, we've really come to a strategic point in this journey through the wilderness to get into the good land. They've been through a lot of failures and a lot of uh, undertaking by the Lord to take them on bit by bit, supplying manna when they needed to eat and uh, the flowing river out of the rock when they needed to drink. Now we've come to another stage in the enemy's attacks are the envy's tactics to try to frustrate their entering the good land. And here we've got these Moabites. I think uh, many people know their genealogy was that the daughter of Lot brought forth a Moabite by incest. And uh, this is a disgraceful thing. But these people were accompanied in a way by God's people, but they were actually another kind of people. 
veering way off. So they're the ones that are afraid now what these Israelites are doing. Here they've come all this way, and now they're about to enter into the good land. And uh, this king of Moab, Balak, he has an idea how to stop them. They haven't been able to do anything militarily, and he's pretty well assured that he couldn't defeat them. He feels like there are too many and too strong. So he wants to find another tactic to fight against these people that are spreading over the whole seeable earth. So he uh, calls for a prophet, a prophet who's supposed to be able to curse what needs to be cursed and bless what needs to be blessed. So he sends word to Balaam, who is a prophet, and uh, wants to get him on his side to curse this whole people. He knows that whatever Balaam curses, it will be cursed, and whatever he blesses will be blessed. So he wants a curse to be pronounced over these people. So he sends for him. So that's where we are today. We're getting word to Balaam to come and stand in the gap here and curse these people. So alleviate Balak's fear of what they'll do to him because they're fastly moving over the whole country. Mm-hmm. Francis, that's a good uh, recap of the story, and I think does set the stage very well. Now we're going to see that all of these, as we've been seeing, all of these are figures, types of things that have an application in our situation. I do want to point out these two names, Balak, the king, and Balaam, the prophet. And when Witness Lee speaks these, it's a little hard to distinguish sometimes, but I think in context now that they know the king, that's Balak, and the prophet, of course, is Balaam. Why don't we go to Witness Lee? From the time Israel took the Passover and were ready to cross the Red Sea, from that time Satan began to fight. Satan first used the Egyptian army to frustrate Israel from coming out of Egypt. Then the war continued. You see, after Egyptians, you have the Amorites. Then the three kings, the three strong guards of the good land of Canaan, all were taken over by Israel. Now, they are ready to cross the river to enter the good land. But there is another king, Balak. He felt that he and his people and his territory might be destroyed, the same as the other three kings. So he realized politically he could not overcome Israel. So he picked up religion, trying to use religion as the best weapon to damage, to kill these strong people. In chapter 22, we are told Balak considered Israel too strong. So Balak told Balaam, these people of Israel, you must come here to curse them. He was told that Balak's goal was to curse the people of God. Balaam knew this. If he was faithful to God, he would say, Balak, no, I have nothing to do with you as long as you are planning to destroy Israel because I love God. And that's God's people. He knew that was a conspiracy to damage God's people. And he, he still would go to God and ask God whether he should go or not. Isn't this ridiculous? 
Well, don't say this is ridiculous just to bear them. A lot of things like this ridiculous to you. You knew already the Lord was not happy. But you still would say, let me consider before the Lord. Didn't you have such a case? Francis, maybe some of our listeners are puzzling a little bit over this last uh, point, but I think it'll become clear here in just a moment. Let's go back and look at the situation. Balak had seen how Israel had routed these three kings that were arrayed against them. So he takes another approach. He enlists the services of this prophet, Balaam, a religious figure, not a political or a military one. Let's talk about the change of tactic here on the part of Satan by utilizing religion to frustrate God's people. Then we can get to his point at the end about how he very adeptly applied that to all of us. Well, this does have a lot of application, and I can see in this kind of change of tactic how God's people have been opposed in different ways. There's been the inquisitions that used military force, all kinds of uh, martyrdom suffered there and those kind of things, but the enemy never gives up. He just keeps trying to find another entrance, a way to damage God's people and stop the move of the Lord on the earth. This is not uh, really new to us here in uh in this ministry because we've had some have sent for some prophets to come and prophesy against us using radio, internet, and different things like this, and even writing books, which are designed by the enemy himself to try to frustrate God's people from going on. And Balak was in that kind of a situation. He couldn't uh, fight against this militarily, and he couldn't fight against it with the truth because the truth was against him. But he still wanted to... uh, destroy this people because they were fastly covering the whole land and he could see they had defeated before them. And so he wanted to deal with them in another way. So he sent for a prophet, somebody that has something to do with God or has some power to frustrate and to uh, curse who would they would want to curse and to bless who would they would want to bless. So he sent word by some of his representatives to go to uh, Balaam to hire him. And uh, quite often, these kind of people are for hire. But they try to uh, use tactics that are so-called spiritual, or at least religious, to try to frustrate God's move. And that's exactly the picture we have here. Using uh, a prophet instead of a military leader, and now he gets uh, someone with higher authority. He tries, and he sends for Balaam to come to him to curse these people who are spreading very fast. And he was afraid that this is going to take over our territory. So he wants something to be done that would be, what you might say, supernatural to stop these people in their move. He brought out uh, at the end here that, uh, of course, if Balaam had any sort of a genuine prophetical function, he would have known right away, no, there's no point in even thinking of cursing God's people Israel. But yet, because as you said, there was a for hire sign here upon his, uh, his prophesying work. And uh, there was a pretty good offer at the door. Uh, And so he thought, well, maybe I'll just double-check and make sure that God wouldn't want to curse. uh, And we're going to see this theme really developed as we go on today. It becomes very important as part of the story. And, of course, he makes the point that uh, how many times do we kind of uh, operate in a similar vein to Balaam, hoping God might change his mind, where really we know this is not the Lord's way. And there's some greed involved in this. He's a a prophet that has... uh reward in mind. 
Actually, uh, I want to read a verse right now to set up this next section. It's verse 18 in chapter 22. And by now, Balaam has turned down the offer one time, hoping that it would materialize, but uh, he knew that the Lord's uh, word would not be uh, as Balak would like it to be. So Balak sends them back again, his servants, this time and ups the ante a little, a bigger offering. So this is verse 18. It says, And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Even if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of Jehovah my God to do less or more. But verse 19 says, Now you therefore please stay here tonight also so that I may know what more Jehovah might speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what uh, Witness Lee would have called the fox's tail. Yeah, that's right. The fact that he mentions the reward indicates that there's something underneath all this coming back to the Lord again to see couldn't I maybe take advantage of this? This would be very useful money in our coffers. Yes. So Balaam is about to uh, see if the Lord is ready to change his mind yeah. yet. Okay, let's go back to Witness Lee. Don't just laugh at Balaam. We have a lot of occasions we knew that was not of the Lord. Yet still we were thinking to seek the Lord leading. What should I do? Should I do it? Or not? Well, this is self-deceiving. The Lord was so real. That night, the Lord came to him. And the Lord told him, don't go. He answered, the officers came from Balak, that the Lord wouldn't let him go. And Balak said, okay, let me send more officers, more money, more presents. Then what? Again, Balaam said, okay, I cannot say anything more than what the Lord would speak to me, so I go to him and seek how he leads us. Something like this. Self-deceiving. Then the Lord this time, listen this, the Lord said, okay, go. This was a real base for Balaam to say, I'm going according to the Lord's will. Please tell me, what's that, the Lord's will? What was that? Quite often, we are just like this. Just like this. You just insisted to go. You desired to go. Eventually, the Lord would say, okay, you go. But the Lord charged him. You shouldn't say anything that I would not tell you. Then he went. The trouble came. The very donkey became a trouble. She forced the donkey to speak human language. Eventually, Balaam got to know the real situation. But did he go back? No. He still kept going. This prophet didn't accomplish what Balak wanted him to do. Balak didn't get what he wanted. But God got what he wanted, even through this kind of a prophet. And here is a very good lesson for us all to learn. Don't seek the Lord's will as long as you have a desire to do certain things. As long as you have a desire, yet you still like to seek the Lord's leading. The result mainly is self-deceiving. Learn to seek the Lord's will 
by having nothing else. Lord, I'm here. I just have to know your will. Then you may get the Lord's will. Otherwise, even the Lord would tell you what he wants you to do. You will still be inclining to carry out your desire. This becomes self-deceiving. Francis, there's really two things being conveyed in his speaking here. We have the storyline that we're getting bits and pieces of, and then we're having the application that is really what we're intent on focusing on. Let me just fill in a little bit of the gap in the story and then ask you to to, uh, pick up the application portion. Balaam continues in his quest to, to try to please Balak so that he can be the recipient of the reward, but the Lord is frustrating him, not giving him the curse, in fact, is uh, speaking blessing regarding Israel when he uh, approaches. And yet Balaam now determines to set out and come at Balak's request, and uh, the Lord inwardly has instructed him not to do so, but he insists upon going. So he mounts his donkey and takes the journey to Balak, an angel of Jehovah, peers first to the donkey and not to Balaam, right? And uh, the donkey sees the sword in the hand of the angel, and he wants no part of this trip. Uh, and so eventually the donkey even cries out as Balak is beating him, striking him, trying to get him to go and, and move on the way. And this is where the donkey actually is becomes the real prophet here. But still the Lord, because of Balaam's continual persistence, somewhat acquiesces, I would say, and agrees to let him go. And I think at this point I'll let you uh, give the development and the application. Yeah, it seems like if uh, you beg the Lord long enough, he will let you have permission to do what is really not his will and then uh, exercise his sovereignty to work out the thing so that it turns out for his purpose after all. Right. And the Lord has really, really good at this. And no matter how much you uh, try to convince him that uh, it's to his benefit for you to go, you find out that it was only your benefit you were thinking about. You'll go if there's any way to get permission from the Lord, even if I have to imagine it. I want to be able to carry this out because the reward is too great to pass up. Right. So he goes. The Lord even told him to go ahead, but only say what he told him to say. But then he showed his displeasure by performing a miracle with that donkey that he was on. First of all, the donkey won't move because there's a angel standing in the way with a sword in his hand. And as you had said, he doesn't want anything to do with this trip. So he stops, sits down, and won't move. And then uh, when he does move, he, they're between uh, two walls here, and, they, and he begins to give a little nudge to, uh, to Balaam that he's going to stop him. So he, he bounces his foot against that wall, and that, that disturbs him. And finally, Balaam just beats him, trying to make him obey. Then the donkey speaks to him. This is the miracle. That's a real speaking that's miraculous. And he speaks to him in a human voice. Why are you beating me these three times? But it's very obvious that the Lord has permitted this sort of thing and even arranged this sort of thing to stop Balaam from going against God's people. But this is a hard lesson for someone like Balaam to learn because his popularity and his increase is going to be measured by how much success he can have in his prophesying here. So he goes ahead with this anyway. And, of course, the way Witness Lee relates this whole event, it's really making it very applicable and personal to all of us because in one way or another, we've all ridden that donkey and beaten that donkey and (laughs) uh, really tried to obtain our own way, haven't we? That's right. I'm sorry to say, but that really is the truth. 
Hey, we did say one thing I want to point out as, uh, we, as we prepare to go to the final section, and that is that if we are sincere about wanting the Lord speaking on a certain matter, the first thing is we must empty ourselves of our own desire and intention and motive. I thought that was a, a wonderful portion. Very strong application there for that because to get the Lord's mind, you have to empty out your own intentions, and that this is what Balaam didn't do. He didn't empty himself of his own intention. He was still trying to persuade the Lord to take his way. Francis, we uh, we have one more segment. We're not going to have much time afterwards to talk about it, but I do want to get to uh, Witness Lee's final point. This is a, a wonderful point. We go to chapter 23. I do want to read a couple of verses here, uh, verses 20 and 21. This is Balaam speaking. Now I have received a word to bless. Since he has blessed, then I cannot reverse it. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Jehovah their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. Hmm. Wonderful word. Yeah, say. Let's find out. It seems like there's a lot of iniquity in Israel. Yeah. (laughs) Here's Witness Lee. The most striking lines are verse 21. God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Jacob is perfect. Do you believe so? Was Jacob perfect? Then what is this? Well, this is God's divine view. So sometimes when you are speaking some defects of certain saints, you have to be careful. You say, he has defects. He's not perfect. Yet God say, no. In my eyes, he is quite perfect. How could you reconcile this? Never forget, God's redeemed people have two status. The first one was in themselves. And the second one is in God's redemption. The question is this. When God looks at you, he looks at you in yourself or in Christ. God would never look at us, his redeemed people, in ourselves. God has forgot. He has forgot what we were. God is not that good to remember people's defects. He is altogether easy to forget. When he forgives, he forgets. Now, he has put us all into Christ. Always, he looks at us in Christ. In Christ, we don't have any iniquity. God says he has not beheld iniquity in the church. The church today is in Christ. In the eyes of God, we are out of the condemnation, we are out of the fall, and we are out of altogether ourselves. God does have his standing to say, I see no iniquity in Jacob because they got redeemed. They all got redeemed. I've forgiven them. So, based upon this, God can declare. Then Balaam, controlled by God, he had no choice but to declare he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor has seen trouble in Israel. 
Francis, our time is very, very short. But, you know, we've had so many programs and so much uh, of the, the history in the Old Testament is devoted to the failures and the defects in God's people, Israel or Jacob, as they were called. How can the Lord make such a declaration? God is love and God is forgiving. <laughs> and for his people, he has a way to forgive and to cleanse and to forget all their failures and see them in his view as without fault and without failure. That's our God. That's our God. That is the way that God views his redeemed people. That's right. That's wonderful. I think that's a fitting way to end our program today and doesn't need a lot of elaboration. I think we can all rejoice and uh, understand exactly what that means. Amen. Thank you very much, Francis. We uh, are out of time. I will give you our toll-free number and invite you to contact us. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witnessly speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there, you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.